0: Dead Souls part 1 chapter 4 section 2 This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Dead Souls by Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol translated by DJ Hogarth part 1 chapter 4 section 2 To continue the three vehicles bowled up to the steps of Nostrev's house, and their occupants alighted. But no preparations whatsoever had been made for the guests' reception. From some wooden trestles, in the centre of the dining-room, a couple of peasants were engaged in whitewashing the ceiling, and drawling out an endless song as they splashed their stuff about the floor. Hastily bidding peasants and trestles to be gone, Nostrev departed to another room with further instructions. Indeed, so audible was the sound of his voice as he ordered dinner, that Chichikov, who was beginning to feel hungry once more, was unable to gather that it would be at least five o'clock before a meal of any kind would be available. On his return, Nozdrev invited his companions to inspect his establishment, even though as early as two o'clock he had to announce that nothing more was to be seen." The tour began with a view of the stables, where the party saw two mares, the one a grey and the other a roan, and a colt. Which latter animal, though far from showy, Nozdrev declared to have cost him ten thousand roubles. "'You never paid ten thousand roubles for the brute!' exclaimed the brother-in-law. He isn't worth even a thousand. "'By God, I did pay ten thousand, asserted Nozdrev. "'You can swear that as much as you like!' retorted the other. Will you bet that I did not?" asked Nostrev, but the brother-in-law declined the offer. Next Nozdrev showed his guests some empty stalls, where a number of equally fine animals, so he alleged, had lately stood. Also there was on view the goat, which an old belief still considers to be an indispensable adjunct to such places, even though its apparent use is to pace up and down beneath the noses of the horses, as though the place belonged to it. "'Thereafter the host took his guests to look at a young wolf which he had got tied to a chain. "'He is fed on nothing but raw meat,' he explained, "'for I want him to grow up as fierce as possible.' "'Then the party inspected a pond in which there were fish of such a size "'that it would take two men all their time to lift one of them out. "'This piece of information was received with renewed incredulity on the part of the brother-in-law.' "'Now, Chichikov,' went on Nozdrev, "'let me show you a truly magnificent brace of dogs. "'The hardness of their muscles will surprise you, "'and they have jowls as sharp as needles.' So saying, he led the way to a small but neatly built shed surrounded on every side with a fenced-in run. Entering this run, the visitors beheld a number of dogs of all sorts and sizes and colours, In their midst, Nozdrev looked like a father lording it over his family circle. Erecting their tails, their stems, as dog-fanciers call those members, the animals came bounding to greet the party, and fully a score of them laid their paws upon Chichikov's shoulders. Indeed one dog was moved with such friendliness that standing on its hind legs it licked him on the lips, and so forced him to spit. That done, the visitors duly inspected the couple already mentioned, and expressed astonishment at their muscles. True enough, they were fine animals. Next the party looked at a Crimean bitch, which, though blind and fast nearing her end, had two years ago been a truly magnificent dog. At all events, so said Nozdrev. Next came another bitch, also blind. Then an inspection of the water-mill, which lacked the spindle socket wherein the upper stone ought to have been revolving fluttering to use the russian peasant's quaint expression but never mind said nozdrev let us proceed to the blacksmith's shop so to the blacksmith's shop the party proceeded and when the said shop had been viewed nozdrev said as he pointed to a field in this field i have seen such numbers of hares as to render the ground quite invisible indeed on one occasion i with my own hands caught a hare by the hind legs you never caught a hare by the hind legs with your hands remarked the brother-in-law but i did reiterated nozdrev however let me show you the boundary where my lands come to an end so saying he started to conduct his guests across a field which consisted mostly of mole-heaps and in which the party had to pick their way between strips of ploughed land and of harrowed. Soon Chichikov began to feel weary, for the train was so low-lying that in many spots water could be heard squelching underfoot. And though for a while the visitors watched their feet and stepped carefully, they soon perceived that such a course availed them nothing, and took to following their noses without either selecting or avoiding the spots where the mire happened to be deeper or the reverse. At length, when a considerable distance had been covered, they caught sight of a boundary post and a narrow ditch. "'That is the boundary,' said Nozdrev. "'Everything that you see on this side of the post is mine, as well as the forest on the other side of it, and what lies beyond the forest.' "'When did that forest become yours?' asked the brother-in-law. "'It cannot be long since you purchased it, for it never used to be yours.' "'Yes, it isn't long since I purchased it,' said Nozdrev. "'How long?' "'How long?' Why, I purchased it three days ago, and gave a pretty sum for it, as the devil knows. Indeed. Why, three days ago you were at the fair. Wiseacre, cannot one be at a fair, and buy land at the same time? Yes, I was at the fair, and my steward bought the land in my absence. Oh, your steward bought it!" The brother-in-law seemed doubtful, and shook his head. The guests returned by the same route as that by which they had come. Whereafter, on reaching the house nozdrev conducted them to his study which contained not a trace of the things usually to be found in such apartments such things as books and papers on the contrary the only articles to be seen were a sword and a brace of guns the one of them worth three hundred roubles and the other about eight hundred the brother-in-law inspected the articles in question and then shook his head as before next the visitors were shown some real turkish daggers of which one bore the inadvertent inscription "Seveli Sibiryakov. footnote two master cutler then came a barrel-organ on which nostrev started to play some tune or other for a while the sounds were not wholly unpleasing but suddenly something seemed to go wrong for a mazurka started to be followed by marlborough has gone to the war and to this again there succeeded an antiquated waltz Also, long after Nozdrev had ceased to turn the handle, one particularly shrill-pitched pipe, which had throughout refused to harmonize with the rest, kept up a protracted whistling on its own account. Then followed an exhibition of tobacco-pipes, pipes pipes of clay, of wood, of mirstrum, pipes smoked and non-smoked, pipes wrapped in cami-leather and not-so-wrapped, an amber-mounted hookah, a stake won at cards and a tobacco-pouch. Worked, it was alleged, by some countess who had fallen in love with Nozdrev at a post-house, and whose handiwork Nozdrev averred to constitute the sublimity of superfluity, a term which, in the Nozdrevian vocabulary, purported to signify the acme of perfection. Footnote 2. That is to say, a distinctly Russian name. Finally, after some hors d'oeuvres of sturgeon's back, they sat down to table, the time being then nearly five o'clock but the meal did not constitute by any means the best of which chichikov had ever partaken seeing that some of the dishes were overcooked and others were scarcely cooked at all evidently their compounder had trusted chiefly to inspiration she had laid hold of the first thing which had happened to come to hand for instance had pepper represented the nearest article within reach she had added pepper wholesale had a cabbage chanced to be so encountered she had pressed it also into service and the same with milk bacon and peas in short her rule seemed to have been make a hot dish of some sort and some sort of taste will result for the rest nozdrev drew heavily upon the wine even before the soup had been served he had poured out for each guest a bumper of port and another of hot sauternes never in provincial towns is ordinary vulgar sauternes ever procurable next he called for a bottle of madeira as fine a tipple as ever a field-marshal drank. But the Madeira only burnt the mouth, since the dealers, familiar with the taste of our landed gentry, who love good Madeira, invariably doctor the stuff with copious dashes of rum and imperial vodka, in the hope that Russian stomachs will thus be enabled to carry off the lot. After this bottle Nozbrev called for another, and a very special brand, a brand which he declared to consist of a blend of Burgundy and Champagne. "'and of which he poured generous measures "'into the glasses of Chichikov and the brother-in-law "'as they sat to the right and left of him. "'But since Chichikov noticed that, after doing so, "'he added only a scanty modicum of the mixture "'to his own tumbler, our hero determined to be cautious, "'and therefore took advantage of a moment "'when Nozdrev had again plunged into conversation "'and was yet a third time engaged "'in refilling his brother-in-law's glass, "'to contrive to upset his, Chichikov's, glass.' over his plate. In time there came also to table a tart of mountain ash-berries, berries berries which the host declared to equal in taste ripe plums, but which, curiously enough, smacked more of corn-brandy. Next the company consumed a sort of pasty, of which the precise name has escaped me, but which the host rendered differently even on the second occasion of its being mentioned. The meal over, and the whole tale of wines tried, the guests still retained their seats, a circumstance which embarrassed Chichikov, seeing that he had no mind to propound his pet scheme in the presence of Nozdrev's brother-in-law, who was a complete stranger to him. No, that subject called for amicable and private conversation. Nevertheless, the brother-in-law appeared to bode little danger, seeing that he had taken on board a full cargo, and was now engaged in doing nothing of a more menacing nature than picking his nose. At length he himself noticed that he was not altogether in a responsible condition. Wherefore he rose, and began to make excuses for departing homewards, though in a tone so drowsy and lethargic that, to quote the Russian proverb, he might also have been pulling a collar on to a horse by the clasps. "'No, no,' cried Nostrev, "'I am not going to let you go.' "'But I must go,' replied the brother-in-law." "'Don't try to hinder me. You are annoying me greatly. "'Rubbish! We are going to play a game of banker.' "'No, no, you must play it without me, my friend. "'My wife is expecting me at home, "'and I must go and tell her all about the fair. "'Yes, I must go if I am to please her. "'Do not try to detain me. "'Your wife be... "'But have you really an important piece of business with her?' no no my friend the real reason is that she is a good and trustful woman and that she does a great deal for me the tears spring to my eyes as i think of it do not detain me as an honorable man i say that i must go of that i do assure you in all sincerity oh let him go put in chichikov under his breath what use? very well said nostrev though damn it, i do not like fellows who lose their heads then he added to his brother-in-law all right footnote three off you go to your wife and your woman's talk and may the devil go with you footnote three a jeering appellation which owes its origin to the fact that certain russians cherish a prejudice against the initial character of the word namely the greek letter theta or th "'Do not insult me with the term Fetuk,' retorted the brother-in-law. "'To her I owe my life, and she is a dear, good woman, and has shown me much affection. "'At the very thought of it I could weep. "'You see, she will be asking me what I have seen at the fair, and tell her about it I must. "'For she is such a dear, good woman.' "'Then off you go to her with your pack of lies. "'Here is your cap.' "'No, good friend, you are not to speak of her like that. "'By so doing, you offend me greatly. "'I say that she is a dear, good woman. "'Then run along home to her.' "'Yes, I am just going. "'Excuse me for having been unable to stay. "'Gladly would I have stayed, but really I cannot.' "'The brother-in-law repeated his excuses again and again, "'without noticing that he had entered the britchka.' that had passed through the gates, and that he was now in the open country. Permissibly we may suppose that his wife succeeded in gleaning from him few details of the fare. What a fool, said Nozdrev, as, standing by the window, he watched the departing vehicle. Yet his off-horse is not such a bad one. For a long time past I have been wanting to get hold of it. A man like that is simply impossible. Yes, he is a Thetuk, a regular Thetuk. With that, they repaired to the parlor, where, on Pofiri bringing candles, Chichikov perceived that his host had produced a pack of cards. I tell you what, said Nozdrev, pressing the sides of the pack together, and then slightly bending them, so that the pack cracked and a few cards flew out, how would it be if, to pass the time, I were to make a bank of three hundred? Chichikov pretended not to have heard him, but remarked with an air of having just recollected a forgotten point. By the way, I had omitted to say that I have a request to make of you. What request? First, give me your word that you will grant it. What is the request, I say? Then you give me your word, do you? Certainly. Your word of honor? My word of honor. This then is my request. I presume that you have a large number of dead serfs whose names have not yet been removed from the revision list. I have, but why do you ask? Because I want you to make them over to me. Of what use would they be to you? Never mind, I have a purpose in wanting them. What purpose? A purpose which is strictly my own affair. In short, I need them. "'You seem to have hatched a very fine scheme. "'Out with it now! What is in the wind?' "'How could I have hatched such a scheme as you say? "'One could not very well hatch a scheme out of such a trifle as this.' "'Then for what purpose do you want the serfs?' "'Oh, the curiosity of the man! "'He wants to poke his fingers into and smell over every detail. "'Why do you decline to say what is in your mind?' At all events, until you do say, I shall not move in the matter. But how would it benefit you to know what my plans are? A whim has seized me, that is all. Nor are you playing fair. You have given me your word of honour, yet now you are trying to back out of it. No matter what you desire me to do, I decline to do it until you have told me your purpose. What am I to say to the fellow? thought Chichikov he reflected for a moment and then explained that he wanted the dead souls in order to acquire a better standing in society since at present he possessed little landed property and only a handful of serfs you are lying said Nozdrev, without even letting him finish yes you are lying my good friend chichikov himself perceived that his device had been a clumsy one and his pretext weak i must tell him straight out he said to himself as he pulled his wits together should i tell you the truth "'he added aloud. "'I must beg of you not to repeat it. "'The truth is that I am thinking of getting married. "'But unfortunately my betrothed's father and mother "'are very ambitious people, and do not want me to marry her, "'since they desire the bridegroom to own not less than three hundred souls, "'whereas I own but a hundred and fifty, "'and that number is not sufficient.' "'Again you are lying,' said Nozdrev. "'Then look here. "'I have been lying only to this extent,' "'and Chichikov marked off upon his little finger a minute portion.' Nevertheless I will bet my head that you have been lying throughout Come come that is not very civil of you why should I have been lying because I know you and know that you are regular skinflint I say that in all friendship if I possessed any power over you I should hang you to the nearest tree This remark hurt Chichikov for at any time he disliked expressions gross or offensive to decency and never allowed anyone no not even persons of the highest rank to behave towards him with an undue measure of familiarity. Consequently, his sense of umbrage on the present occasion was unbounded." "'By God, I would hang you,' repeated Nostrev. "'I say this frankly, and not for the purpose of offending you, but simply to communicate to you my friendly opinion.'" "'To everything there are limits,' retorted Chichikov stiffly. If you want to indulge in speeches of that sort, you had better return to the barracks. However, after a pause, he added, If you do not care to give me the serfs, why not sell them? Sell them? I know you, you rascal. You wouldn't give me very much for them, would you? A nice fellow. Look here, what are they to you? So many diamonds, eh? I thought so. I know you. "'Pardon me, but I could wish that you were a member of the Jewish persuasion. "'You would give them to me fast enough then. "'On the contrary, to show you that I am not a usurer, "'I will decline to ask of you a single copeck for the serfs. "'All that you need to do is buy that colt of mine, "'and then I will throw in the serfs in addition.' "'But what should I want with your colt?' said Chichikov, "'genuinely astonished at the proposal.' "'What should you want with him? "'Why, I have bought him for ten thousand roubles, "'and am ready to let you have him for four. "'I ask you again of what use could the colt possibly be to me? "'I am not the keeper of a breeding establishment. "'Ah, I see that you fail to understand me. "'Let me suggest that you pay down at once three thousand roubles of the purchase money, "'and leave the other thousand until later. "'But I do not mean to buy the colt, damn him.' then buy the roan mare. No, nor the roan mare. Then you shall have both the mare and the grey horse which you have seen in my stables for two thousand roubles. I require no horses at all. But you would be able to sell them again. You would be able to get thrice their purchase price at the very first fair that was held. Then sell them at that fair yourself, seeing that you are so certain of making a triple profit. Oh, I should make it fast enough, only I want you to benefit by the transaction. Chichikov duly thanked his interlocutor, but continued to decline either the grey horse or the roan mare. Then buy a few dogs, said Nozdrev. I can sell you a couple of hides a-quiver, ears well-pricked, coats like quills, ribs barrel-shaped, and paws so tucked up as scarcely to graze the ground when they run. Of what use would those dogs be to me? I am not a sportsman. But I want you to have the dogs. Listen, if you won't have the dogs, then buy my barrel organ. Tis a splendid instrument. As a man of honor, I can tell you that, when new, it cost me fifteen hundred roubles. Well, you shall have it for nine hundred. Come, come what should i want with a barrel organ i am not a german to go hauling it about the roads and begging for coppers but this is quite a different kind of organ from the one which germans take about with them you see it is a real organ look at it for yourself it is made of the best wood i will take you to have another view of it and seizing chichikov by the hand nostrev drew him towards the other room where in spite of the fact that chichikov with his feet planted firmly on the floor assured his host again and again that he knew exactly what the organ was like he was forced once more to hear how Marlborough went to the war then since you don't care to give me any money for it persisted nostrev listen to the following proposal i will give you the barrel-organ and all the dead souls which i possess and in return you shall give me your britchka and another three hundred rubles into the bargain." Listen to the man. In that case what should I have left to drive in? Oh, I would stand you another britchka. Come to the coach-house and I will show you the one I mean. It only needs repainting to look a perfectly splendid britchka." The ramping incorrigible devil, thought Chichikov to himself, as, at all hazards, he resolved to escape from britchkas, organs, and every species of dog, however marvellously barrel-ribbed and tucked up of paw. "'And in exchange you shall have the britchka, the barrel-organ, and the dead souls,' repeated Nostrev. "'I must decline the offer,' said Chichikov. "'And why?' "'Because I don't want the things. I am full up already.' I can see that you don't know how things should be done between good friends and comrades. Plainly, you are a man of two faces. What do you mean, you fool? Think for yourself. Why should I acquire articles which I don't want? Say no more about it, if you please. I have quite taken your measures. But see here. Should you care to play a game of banker, I am ready to stake both the dead souls and the barrel at cards." no to leave an issue to cards means to submit oneself to the unknown said chichikov covertly glancing at the pack which nozdrev had got in his hands somehow the way in which his companion had cut that pack seemed to him suspicious why to the unknown asked nozdrev there is no such thing as the unknown should luck be on your side you may win the devil knows what a haul oh luck luck he went on beginning to deal in the hope of raising a quarrel here is the cursed nine upon which the other night i lost everything all along i knew that i should lose my money said i to myself the devil take you you false accursed card just as Nozdrev uttered the words porfiry entered with a fresh bottle of liquor but chichikov declined either to play or to drink why do you refuse to play asked nostrev because i feel indisposed to do so Moreover, I must confess that I am no great hand at cards." Why are you no great hand at them? Chichikov shrugged his shoulders. Because I am not, he replied. You are no great hand at anything, I think. What does that matter? God has made me so. The truth is that you are a Thetuk and nothing else. Once upon a time I believed you to be a good fellow, but now I see that you don't understand civility. One cannot speak to you as one would to an intimate, for there is no frankness or sincerity about you. You are a regular Sobakevich, just such another as he. For what reason are you abusing me? Am I in any way at fault for declining to play cards? Sell me those souls, if you are the man to hesitate over such rubbish. The foul fiend take you! I was about to have given them to you for nothing, but now you shan't have them at all, "'not if you offer me three kingdoms in exchange. "'Henceforth I will have nothing to do with you, you cobbler, you dirty blacksmith. "'Porfiry, go and tell the ostler to give the gentleman's horses no oats, but only hay.' "'This development Chichikov had hardly expected. "'And you,' added Nozdrev to his guest, "'get out of my sight.' "'Yet, in spite of this, host and guest took supper together.' even though on this occasion the table was adorned with no wines of fictitious nomenclature, but only with a bottle which reared its solitary head beside a jug of what is usually known as vin ordinaire. When supper was over, Nostrev said to Chichikov, as he conducted him to a side room where a bed had been made up, "This is where you are to sleep; I cannot very well wish you good night." Left to himself on Nostrev's departure, Chichikov felt in a most unenviable frame of mind. Full of inward vexation, he blamed himself bitterly for having come to see this man and so wasted valuable time; but even more did he blame himself for having told him of his scheme, for having acted as carelessly as a child or a madman. Of a surety the scheme was not one which ought to have been confided to a man like Nozdrev, for he was a worthless fellow who might lie about it and append additions to it, and spread such stories as would give rise to God knows what scandals. "'This is indeed bad,' Chichikov said to himself. "'I have been an absolute fool.' Consequently he spent an uneasy night, this uneasiness being increased by the fact that a number of small but vigorous insects so feasted upon him that he could do nothing but scratch the spots and exclaim, "'The devil take you and knows alike!' Only when morning was approaching did he fall asleep. On rising, he made it his first business, after donning dressing-gown and slippers, to cross the courtyard to the stable, for the purpose of ordering Selifan to harness the britchka. Just as he was returning from his errand, he encountered Nostrev, clad in a dressing-gown and holding a pipe between his teeth. Host and guest greeted one another in friendly fashion, and Nostrev inquired how Chichikov had slept. "'Fairly well,' replied Chichikov, but with a touch of dryness in his tone. "'The same with myself,' said Nozdrev, "'The truth is that such a lot of nasty brutes kept crawling over me that even to speak of it gives me the shudders. Likewise, as the effect of last night's doings, a whole squadron of soldiers seems to be camping on my chest and giving me a flogging. Ugh! And whom also do you think I saw in a dream? You would never guess. Why, it was Staff Captain Potsiliev and Lieutenant Kuvshinnikov." Yes, thought Chichikov to himself, and I wish they too would give you a public thrashing. I felt so ill, went on Nostrov, and just after I had fallen asleep, something did come and sting me. Probably it was a party of hag-fleas. Now dress yourself, and I will be with you presently. First of all, I must give that scoundrel of a bailiff a wigging. Chichikov departed to his own room to wash and dress. Which process completed, he entered the dining-room to find the table laid with tea-things and a bottle of rum. Clearly no broom had yet touched the place, for there remained traces of the previous night's dinner and supper in the shape of crumbs thrown over the floor and tobacco-ash on the tablecloth. The host himself, when he entered, was still clad in a dressing-gown, exposing a hairy chest, and as he sat holding his pipe in his hand and drinking tea from a cup, he would have made a model for the sort of painter who prefers to portray gentlemen of the less curled and scented order. "'What think you?' he asked of Chichikov, after a short silence. "'Are you willing now to play me for those souls?' I have told you that I never play cards. If the souls are for sale, I will buy them. I decline to sell them. Such would not be the course proper between friends. But a game of banker would be quite another matter. Let us deal the cards. I have told you that I decline to play. And you will not agree to an exchange? No. Then look here. Suppose we play a game of chess. If you win, the souls shall be yours. There are a lot which I should like to see crossed off the revision list. Hi, "'Pofiti, bring me the chessboard. "'You are wasting your time. I will play neither chess nor cards. But chess is different from playing with a bank. In chess there can be neither luck nor cheating, for everything depends upon skill. In fact, I warn you that I cannot possibly play with you unless you allow me a move or two in advance.' "'The same with me,' thought Chichikov. "'Shall I or shall I not play this fellow?' I used not to be a bad chess player, and it is a sport in which he would find it more difficult to be up to his tricks. Very well, he added aloud, I will play you at chess. And stake the souls for a hundred roubles? asked Nostrev. No, why for a hundred? Would it not be sufficient to stake them for fifty? No, what would be the use of fifty? Nevertheless, for the hundred roubles I will throw in a moderately old puppy, or else a gold seal and watch-chain. "'Very well,' assented Chichikov. "'Then how many moves are you going to allow me?' "'Is that to be part of the bargain? Why, none, of course.' "'At least allow me two. "'No, none. I myself am only a poor player.' "'I know you and your poor play,' said Nostrov, moving a chessman. "'In fact, it is a long time since last I had a chessman in my hand,' replied Chichikov, also moving a piece." Ah, uh, I know you and your poor play," repeated Nozdrev, moving a second chessman. "I say again that it is a long time since last I had a chessman in my hand." And Chichikov, in his turn, moved. Ah, uh, I know you and your poor play," repeated Nozdrev for the third time as he made a third move. At the same moment, the cuff of one of his sleeves happened to dislodge another chessman from its position. Again, I say," said Chichikov, "that 'tis a long time since last." But hi, look here, put that piece back in its place. What piece? This one. And almost as Chichikov spoke, he saw a third chessman coming into view between the queens. God only knows whence that chessman had materialized. No, no, shouted Chichikov as he rose from the table. It is impossible to play with a man like you. People don't move three pieces at once. How? Three pieces? All that I have done is to make a mistake, to move one of my pieces by accident. If you like, I will forfeit it to you and whence has the third piece come what third piece the one now standing between the queens tis one of your own pieces surely you are forgetting no no my friend i have counted every move and can remember each one that piece has only just become added to the board put it back in its place i say its place which is its place but nozdrev had reddened a good deal i perceive you to be a strategist at the game no no good friend you are the strategist "'though an unsuccessful one, as it happens. "'Then of what are you supposing me capable? "'Of cheating you?' "'I am not supposing you capable of anything. "'All that I say is that I will not play with you any more.' "'But you can't refuse to,' said Nozbrev, growing heated. "'You see, the game has begun. "'Nevertheless, I have a right not to continue it, "'seeing that you are not playing as an honest man should do. "'You are lying. "'You cannot truthfully say that.' "'Tis you who are lying.' But I have not cheated, consequently you cannot refuse to play, but must continue the game to a finish. You cannot force me to play, retorted Chichikov coldly, as, turning to the chessboard, he swept the pieces into confusion. Nozdrev approached Chichikov with a manner so threatening that the other fell back a couple of paces. I will force you to play, said Nozdrev. It is no use you making a mess of the chessboard, for I can remember every move. We will replace the chessmen exactly as they were. "'No, no, my friend. The game is over, and I play you no more.' "'You say that you will not?' "'Yes. Surely you can see for yourself that such a thing is impossible.' "'That cock won't fight. Say at once that you refuse to play with me.' And Nozdrev approached a step nearer. "'Very well. I do say that,' replied Chichikov, and at the same moment raised his hands towards his face, for the dispute was growing heated.' nor was the act of caution altogether unwarranted, for Nozdrev also raised his fist, and it may be that one of our hero's plump, pleasant-looking cheeks would have sustained an indelible insult had not he, Chichikov, parried the blow, and, seizing Nozdrev by his whirling arms, held them fast. "'Porfiry! Pavlushka!' shouted Nozdrev, as madly he strove to free himself." On hearing the words, Chichikov, both because he wished to avoid rendering the servants witnesses of the unedifying scene, and because he felt that it would be of no avail to hold Nozdrev any longer, let go of the latter's arms. But, at the same moment, Porfiry and Pavlushka entered the room, a pair of stout rascals with whom it would be unwise to meddle. "'Do you or do you not intend to finish the game?' said Nozdrev. "'Give me a direct answer.' "'No, it will not be possible to finish the game,' replied Chichikov, glancing out of the window. He could see his britchka standing ready for him, and Selifen evidently awaiting orders to draw up to the entrance steps. But from the room there was no escape, since in the doorway was posted the couple of well-built serving-men. "'Then it is as you say? You refuse to finish the game?' repeated Nozdrev, his face as red as fire. "'I would have finished it had you played like a man of honour, but as it is I cannot.' you cannot eh you villain you find that you cannot as soon as you find that you are not winning thrash him you fellows and as he spoke nozdrev grasped the cherry wood shank of his pipe chichikov turned as white as a sheet he tried to say something but his quivering lips emitted no sound thrash him again shouted nozdrev as he rushed forward in a state of heat and perspiration more proper to a warrior who is attacking an impregnable fortress "'Thrash him!' again he shouted in a voice like that of some half-demented lieutenant whose desperate bravery has acquired such a reputation that orders have had to be issued that his hands shall be held lest he attempt deeds of over presumptuous daring. Seized with the military spirit, however, the lieutenant's head began to whirl, and before his eyes there flits the image of Suvorov. Footnote 4. He advances to the great encounter and impulsively cries, "'Forward, my sons!' Cries it without reflecting that he may be spoiling the plan of the general attack that millions of rifles may be protruding their muzzles through the embrasures of the impregnable towering walls of the fortress that his own impotent assault may be destined to be dissipated like dust before the wind, and that already there may have been launched on its whistling career the bullet which is to close for forever his vociferous throat, however. If Nozdrev resembled the headstrong, desperate lieutenant whom we have just pictured as advancing upon a fortress, at least the fortress itself in no way resembled the impregnable stronghold which I have described. As a matter of fact, the fortress became seized with a panic which drove its spirit into its boots. First of all, the chair with which Chichikov, the fortress in question, sought to defend himself, was wrested from his grasp by the serfs, and then— blinking and neither dead nor alive he turned to parry the circassian pipe-stem of his host in fact god only knows what would have happened had not the fates been pleased by a miracle to deliver chichikov's elegant back and shoulders from the onslaught suddenly and as unexpectedly as though the sound had come from the clouds there made itself heard the tinkling notes of a collar-bell and then the rumble of wheels approaching the entrance steps And, lastly, the snorting and hard-breathing of a team of horses as a vehicle came to a standstill. Involuntarily all present glanced through the window and saw a man clad in a semi-military greatcoat leap from a buggy. After making an inquiry or two in the hall, he entered the dining-room just at the juncture when Chichikov, almost swooning with terror, had found himself placed in about as awkward a situation as could well befall a mortal man. FOOTNOTE 4 the great Russian general who, after winning fame in the Seven Years' War, met with disaster when attempting to assist the Austrians against the French in 1799. "'Kindly tell me which of you is Monsieur Nozdrev?' said the unknown, with a glance of perplexity both at the person named, who was still standing with Pipe-Shank upraised, and at Chichikov, who was just beginning to recover from his unpleasant predicament. "'Kindly tell me whom I have the honour of addressing,' retorted Nozdrev, as he approached the official. "'I am the superintendent of rural police.' "'And what do you want?' "'I have come to fulfil a commission imposed upon me. "'That is to say, I have come to place you under arrest until your case shall have been decided.' "'Wabish! what case, pray?' the case in which you involved yourself when, in a drunken condition, and through the instrumentality of a walking stick, you offered grave offense to the person of landowner Maximov. You lie! To your face I tell you that never in my life have I set eyes upon landowner Maximov! Good sir, allow me to represent to you that I am a government officer. Speeches like that you may address to your servants, but not to me. At this point, Chichikov, without waiting for Nosdrav's reply, seized his cap, slipped behind the superintendent's back, rushed out onto the veranda, sprang into his butchka, and ordered Selifan to drive like the wind. End of part one, chapter four.